Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 9, and it's actually from verses 51 to 62, um, which can be found on page 1027 of your pew Bibles. That's Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. On Wednesday, uh, the season of Lent began for the church, and some of you were here and lots of you weren't able to make it, and so we're going to talk a little bit at the start of the sermon about Lent. Because the first half of the church year follows this pattern of tracking the life of Jesus. We begin with expectantly waiting for Jesus' coming at Advent. And then we celebrate joyfully his birth at Christmas. And then we celebrate again at Epiphany when we finally realize just who this Jesus is and what he means for the world. And then in the following season, there's this opportunity for us to follow closely the ministry of Jesus in Galilee and the surrounding areas as we witness how he turns his world upside down, proclaiming the kingdom of God everywhere he goes. But then there's this sudden and sharp turn as Lent begins. Jesus sets his gaze toward Jerusalem. Jesus turns toward the cross. As we heard in the gospel according to Luke, there is actually a distinct moment when this happens. In Luke 9, Jesus predicts his death twice, and after the second time, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And from that moment on, Jesus walks toward the cross, and his disciples go with him. Jesus chooses not to be taken by force not to be surprised in the night, but to willingly walk toward the fate he knows will come and to make the most of this journey and the time he has left, to teach his disciples and his friends along the way, to prepare them for what they can expect in a life of following him as well. It seems that Jesus doesn't only make this decision for himself. In fact, he makes this decision for his followers as well. He makes this decision for us. He wants us to also open our eyes to the troubles on the road ahead of us, to not allow us to passively follow and be caught in wonder when trouble befalls us. He invites us all to turn with him toward the cross that he bore 
and also toward the crosses that we are invited to bear for the sake of a world that God loves and for the sake of a kingdom that is still being revealed. This Lenten journey toward the cross, we will be turning our gaze toward the hard realities of this life. The difficult circumstances that following Jesus in the mix of everything else means for us. And there certainly is something strange in this practice of turning toward our troubles because we live in a time and in a culture when it's easier than ever before for us to self-soothe, to distract ourselves from the things that are right in front of us that Jesus may be calling us to pay attention to, to respond to, and instead to just comfort ourselves with the cheap comforts that don't solve anything in the long run, but which help us to cope for the day and leave the troubles and the problems for our future selves. Or if we're honest, we hope for somebody else entirely to handle. Jesus sees the danger of this practice, the danger of living with our eyes shut to troubles and worries of all kinds, the impact that it can have on our lives of faith when we realize that the road we thought was going to be sunshine and daisies actually has some really hard consequences to it as well. Jesus sees the repercussions for our world if we believe that the way of following him is actually all about maximum pleasure and satisfaction for ourselves. Jesus sees the dangers for our very lives if we allow the temporary problems of this world to become the very arbiters by which we decide what we will do with the things we've been given to be good stewards of, that we may choose to squander in pursuit of quicker cheaper things. So that's what we're going to be doing this Lent, choosing together to heed the warning of our Master that in this world we will have troubles and to listen for the good news that comes with that very hard-sounding word. In the pews in front of you, there's actually a bookmark. It looks like this. Um, and it has on it some of the troubles and worries that Jesus encounters on his road to Jerusalem in his own life and the lives of those that he's traveling with. And you're invited to take that. Take that bookmark, put it in your Bible, put it somewhere where you'll see it frequently, and pray about it. Pray about all of those things and consider who it is that God might be inviting you to bring with you to church maybe to an opportune service where they can be challenged to hear the words of Jesus addressing the troubles that they may have in their lives as well. To speak clearly to the reality of the troubles that we all know, we all experience, but that can feel incredibly burdensome when we think about them, that are really just too much for us to bear alone. So this morning, You'll see on that bookmark it says, and your bulletin says, we're, we're looking at the first kind of trouble that Jesus encounters on this road. The trouble that he encounters for himself and his followers and those who desire to follow after him. The trouble of loneliness and rejection. It's immediate, isn't it? It's right after Jesus decides that he'll set his face toward Jerusalem that he encounters this first problem. There's no break for him, it seems. He's immediately turned away. He doesn't even show up unannounced. He sent messengers on ahead. And while the Jewish people and the Samaritans had a very troubled and difficult relationship, it was uncommon for them to interact. It was unthinkable for a Jew to ask anything of a Samaritan. Jesus crosses that boundary himself 
and seeks out hospitality. And what we might easily miss is the reality that hospitality is the one thing, perhaps, that Jews and Samaritans could both agree on the central importance of. All the laws in the Old Testament concerning how you treat a foreigner in your midst, an alien in your land, applied equally to Jews and Samaritans. They both believed the centrality of this act of hospitality. And so while it might be uncommon for a Jew to ask hospitality of a Samaritan, if the ask came, it was to be answered and respected. And so Jesus is turned away And that's unthinkable. It was rare for the request to be made, but rarer still for it to be rejected. It was pretty much unheard of. And that might surprise us because for many of us, it's much more common today that we would be told we're unwelcome, that maybe we've intruded too much, we've asked too much. We have tighter bubbles of personal space that we don't want intruded upon, and family life is not as open and communal But in Jesus' time, and still in many places in the world today, including the Middle East, hospitality was a sacred act. So to us, hearing James and John, who Jesus aptly nicknames the sons of thunder, asking if they can call fire down from heaven to smite these village feels a bit melodramatic, maybe? But in this time, and in this place, that is the kind of outrageous response that follows naturally from an outrageously offensive action. Jesus is rejected a place to sleep because his face is set toward Jerusalem. Luke is actually making a very interesting point here. He's taking what everyone would have known was a general disagreement between Samaritans and Jews about whether Jerusalem was the place to worship God. And he takes that and he lays it alongside the reality that Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem in obedience to the Father to die. It's both things placed side by side. Jesus is rejected not only for who he is, that he is a Jewish man, he's also rejected for what he's doing in being obedient to the Father. The Samaritans, Luke is suggesting, want no part in either of those things. And there are consequences Jesus' life has already been made more difficult by just acknowledging the road that he's on. By choosing to face the thing that's coming, he has lost the privilege of hospitality in this village. That is a swift response. How often do things play out the same way for us? When we make the hard choice to be honest about who we are, to be transparent about what we're doing. How often do we feel that gut punch of rejection, of having been so vulnerable in our personhood, so clear in our intentions, and being rejected now for who we really are or for what we're really trying to do? How do we feel when we're challenged that we're not being realistic in our goals? Perhaps when we're told that the things we're sure God wants us to do are not really true at all. That the things we're confident God is working in our own lives are figments of our own imaginations. When people come to us when we're on this journey and say to us, I won't be able to help you anymore if you keep on this path. I'm really not interested in hearing about this. Or why have you changed so much? 
you're not really the same person that I knew. So it should come as no surprise with this having just freshly happened to Jesus that just a little ways down the road when somebody says, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus responds that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus has just been turned away from a village for a night's sleep. Following Jesus wherever he's going it will be uneasy at best. And at its worst, it's going to be strenuously difficult, at least some of the time. They weren't necessarily going to be able to find a place to sleep in the next village over. And it was better that this man know that now than that he find out when he's in the same situation with them. I wonder how many of us would be a part of the church today if that had been our invitation to faith. It's hard that the realities of our walk of faith may actually make life more difficult in some seasons than if we weren't on it at all. Would we choose to follow if Jesus were to show us those moments where it cost us something to follow him? Would we choose to follow if Jesus were to show us when he encouraged us to press into the rejections we felt? to press past the loneliness and the uncertainty, to stay clear-eyed about our goal and to keep to it because it's good, whatever else may come. And it's this that Jesus offers to his next two would-be followers. This advice paired with the reality that sometimes the loneliness we feel is lesser than the work that Jesus sets before us. Both make requests that seem to be quite reasonable on the surface, Let me bury my father. Let me say goodbye to my family. Both are given the opportunity to follow Jesus who is on his way to his death. There's no time for a one-year burial ritual. Obedience will require some sacrifice. And if you get to the point of doing something for God and then something else takes priority, even for a moment, you've missed the point of what you were called to do. And even that can sound a bit unreasonable. But it's all within this larger context of Jesus inviting these men to follow, but only if they're prepared for the consequences. Because the consequences of following Jesus may not be choosing to give up your family, but it could mean that your family is incredibly hurt by your decision incredibly confused by what you're doing with your life, even to the point, perhaps, of rejecting you, as has been a story shared in our own church. It may not mean choosing to part ways with those around you, but it will always mean being obedient to Jesus' way in each of those relationships. And that's going to cause strain for you if the reality of those relationships is that Jesus' way is not their way too. There's a loneliness that comes with the work of following Jesus, and especially with the work of following Jesus to the cross. It's a loneliness that's hard to understand from the outside, and it's difficult to articulate even from the inside. But it brings with it incredibly good news. It brings with it the promise of an abiding presence of one who has gone on this road before us. 
it brings with it the promise of a community of people who far from perfect and still trying to figure it out themselves will journey alongside you, bearing their crosses themselves. It points us toward the reality that for the church, even when there was gravest disagreement about process or method or place, there has always been a singular vision of purpose and direction, that God's kingdom would come, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we realize in this story from the very beginning of Jesus' journey to the cross is that the things we were taught to believe are the sure bedrock of our lives on earth are not always so. The cultural and societal norms which we have come to rely on as key to the way that we navigate this world and understand our lives will not always remain so for us. Many of us in this room who have done cross-cultural work have, can already attest to the truth of those words. And for many others in this room, maybe who've lived a little longer, have seen a shift in our society, you can name that the trust you placed in the once fact that Canada was a Christian nation, that most of the people that you met and interact with believed the same general things as you on some level, is becoming increasingly less true all the time. And it's disorienting. It's disorienting for us to realize that the things we always held to be true of our world are not always so. And Jesus himself experiences that disorientation and rejection firsthand as the cultural bedrock of hospitality is completely vanished in this story. That kind of major, world-changing event is met only with a renewed resolve by Jesus that those who follow him should be aware of the consequences. Their world, too, may never be the same. In the same way, we are so often taught that our family is our closest earthly bond. That come hell or high water, family is family. Right? We've heard that. This too is not always so, Jesus says. And when it becomes the case that the very relationships by which we have defined ourselves are strained, are fractured, are distant, or cut off entirely, the loneliness we feel is not just deep, it's existential. Jesus seeks to address this too, as he invites us into something new and better that will not erase these difficult realities of life found in loneliness and rejection that may in fact be their cause at times, but which has a much better end in mind. In John 16, Jesus remarks that a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered. Each to your own home, you will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace in me. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This verse is sort of the backbone of this whole sermon series in Lent. Jesus' recognition of the trouble that is coming for him and his friends. His recognition that in this world you too will have troubles and his invitation to take heart because he has overcome the world. Church, the good news is that Jesus overcomes the rejection of this world 
by making the first word one of acceptance, an acceptance which no amount of external rejection can erase. It's this acceptance of the Father that spoke over Jesus, you are my son, the beloved, that allows him to carry through on this journey. And so it is the case that his first word of invitation is the word that is offered to the man who asks to bury his father. His words of abiding peace are the first that many will hear as he walks this road. And the first word spoken over us at our creation is tov, tov, very good. These are the central truths that God himself and Jesus in his ministry seeks to root into the lives of all who follow him. So that when rejection comes, and rejection will come because this world has rejected its creator, so surely it will reject us too. When that comes, we have a truly unchanging reality that roots us and tells us who we are, and we can press in on our journey with Jesus. Jesus overcomes the loneliness of this world by inviting us, even you, into the perfect community of the Trinity and into the not yet perfect community of the church. Abide in me, he says, and my word will abide in you. Receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus proclaims. Jesus isn't trying to have us accept life as hermits. He isn't trying to cut it cut us off from human contact. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He knows how the human heart longs for community. Jesus understands that in the garden, it was not good for the person to be alone, that it needed a helper. So too, Jesus knows we cannot be alone on this walk, but we need the abiding presence of our God, the Father who walked with Jesus every step of his sometimes lonely road. And we also need the embodied presence of Jesus Christ present in you and me, in people who choose to follow him in his work and his mission. The church becomes a family that transcends all time and space, that we can never really get away from, that we'll find wherever we go, that we should never have to feel truly alone because we will not be forsaken. What we're going to find again and again in this series, and is true here today as well, is that Jesus overcomes troubles in his walk by first naming them. Naming them for himself and his followers. Disarming the fear of losing one's family by saying you've got to be willing for that to happen because it could happen. Disarming the fear of not having a place to sleep because of the work that you're doing by saying, yeah, that could happen too. You may be turned away, but I will not leave you. So as people of our Savior who has overcome the world, we participate not only in the experiences of rejection and loneliness, but we also participate in the making whole again, which Jesus seeks to do. We're honest about our experiences with each other, and we bear this load together. We seek out the rejected and the lonely of the world and bring them the good news that they too are not alone, that others have known their pain, that the very maker of this world experienced it for their sakes as well, that the good news of Jesus Christ for a world marked by the trouble of rejection, by the pain of loneliness, is that he is here with them as they bear their heavy load.
the good news continues to be that his people are with even the most isolated in the world as they walk their sleepless nights. That because of Jesus and because of his invitation to us, this world need never be alone as well. Very truly, in this world, you will have troubles, but take heart, for he has overcome the world. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this Lenten journey, for the practice you model for us as you turn toward your own trouble. Help us prepare our hearts to turn toward the trouble and mess of our lives and this world as well. Jesus, thank you for bearing the rejection and loneliness of your journey to Jerusalem and to the cross, for the example you set for us of naming it, of recognizing its presence and knowing the greater truths of, of your heavenly Father's love, of the abiding presence of your friends and community, of the world that is to come. We pray that you would give us eyes to see beyond rejection and loneliness, to root ourselves in the acceptance and affirmation found in your words of love and peace. And so fill us to overflowing that those words would become words readily shared with friends and neighbors who know this pain too deeply and need to know the love and care of your community experienced here on earth and anticipating its fullness in the kingdom that is to come. Amen.